So it is Cinco de Mayo. And uh, I was reading this, this thing last week about it, and that more people in the U.S. celebrate Cinco de Mayo than people in Mexico celebrate Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> well, no, because, well, Independence is, was in September, and so they'll celebrate that, but I don't know, it's more American holiday. But we're doing baptisms today, not that you're all invited. Um, Normal you would be, but this is our smaller baptisms that we're doing. And what I would appreciate from you, because it's uh, three people in three different gospel communities, so the gospel communities will be there with those people getting baptized, so it's smaller because uh, people sometimes get nervous with a lot of people around and watching. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's weird getting in a pool with a bunch of people staring at you that aren't in the pool with you, right? So we get it. So we're doing this smaller one. Uh, but if you guys remember just to, to pray for the people getting baptized today, uh, that the weather would uh, stay nice, because I'm... It hasn't rained yet, which is awesome, and it was supposed to. So, so we get some sun, and it's nice. Oh, it was? So, just barely. The pool is heated to 88 degrees, by the way, because I got to get in it. I'm going to be all, be all, this is nice, like a jacuzzi. And get baptized, not going to get out. Uh, I don't. Oh yeah. So I put yeah. Pray for that because pray that it'll be enjoyable. We're not be all. <laughs> and we're doing like a nacho bar for it. So it's be like nacho cheese and carne asada on top. It's awesome. I just want to remind you to pray about it. Pray that I have nacho cheese. That's oh hey. Uh, Fig Mountain has the best nachos, so you can go there and have some, and then pray about it and have. I'm sorry. I don't know why I'm totally... Welcome to Element, if you are new. Uh, <laughs> there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes and questions to kind of reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. When you download it, it'll just say Bible when you download it. Um, but you can uh, open that up, uh, go to more in then events, and you will come up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 3. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who find our joy and satisfaction in life because we find who we are in all that you have said that we are. And we trust you for your good gifts that have so been bestowed upon us. And I ask that you would teach us as people to glorify you in our lives by enjoying what we have and worshiping you because of those things. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is Ecclesiastes week chapter 16. We are in Ecclesiastes chapter 6. If you want to open your Bible there, it's going to take a long time to get there because i got a big, long preamble before we get there. But Solomon, as the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's been on this whole roll about satisfaction in life not coming from man-made things. He will talk about this as being under the sun, the things that we create. And the more that we try to make temporary things into eternal things, the less and less they're going to satisfy us. Uh, The title of this 
series is the existential hangover. And it's about trying to get everything that we think that we want in life. Like imagine you actually did that. You had all these goals and all these dreams and you did all of those things. And then the next day you wake up and now what? Because you're still you. What are you, you going to do? You still have to live, but what is there to live for? Has life finally become all that you thought that it would be? And the answer to that is... No, because we are perennially dissatisfied, always looking for the next thing. And this is the idea that stuff and things do not bring satisfaction. And putting our lives into things usually makes us more depressed and leaves us wanting more. It's kind of like Christmas. I love Christmas. If you've been around Element any length of time, you know I love Christmas. I love Christmas Eve. We put so much effort and energy into that, but I love giving gifts. I love watching people open gifts. It makes me happy. Just ask my family. I've actually got this Santa bag, and usually I will put gifts in it, and and then walk around and doling them out like I just got out of the chimney or something. Like, oh, ho, 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 here's a gift. Makes my brother feel awkward. He makes tons of fun of me, but I don't really care. But how do I feel the day after Christmas? A little bit let down because I gave out all these gifts. Everybody wasn't as impressed as I thought they would be, and I'm just a little bit let down. I get this bizarre UPS high for about two months before Christmas shows up because these packages arrive every day with my name on them. It's amazing. It's a lot of, I like getting the mail even when it's bills because I feel like I'm getting something. But after Christmas, the packages stop coming and I'm left feeling a little bit alone because no one's delivering any longer. That, for me, is the Christmas hangover, okay? The lull after, after the high. I don't know if you can relate, but Solomon talks about this and relates it to our entire life. Everything that we do, that we spend our lives trying to find meaning and all these things under the sun, the realm of the created, instead of beyond the realm of the created in what God brings and who he is. And so we're going to try and bring ourselves into where Solomon is having us go in this, and it's going to ask the most important question I'm going to give you this morning. We're going to keep coming back to this, and that is the question is, have you ever truly thought about how much you really need God in your life? Have you really ever thought about that? I think a lot of us say, oh yeah, I think about that, but have you really thought about how important that is? All the way back in Genesis, God as a father comes and does certain things in creation. He gives certain gifts. And about once a year, I walk you through this and talk about it. So this is my once a year. We're going to run through these things. The first thing in this garden that God gives to mankind is this thing called shalom. We translate this word as peace. God gives mankind peace. That is more pronounced than we could ever imagine. The word shalom there in the text, it means that everything is really in the right place, in the right time, in the right way, in the right relationship. Everything is all right with you and God, you and other people, you and creation around you, and that nothing in life is meaningless because you live in God's favor and blessing. That's that peace. It's how the earth was created. It's how we as a people were meant to live in shalom with God as a gift. The other word that is in these first couple chapters in Genesis is this word called tov. The word tov means good and refers to everything good in the broadest sense possible. Like, what would we think is good? Maybe hugs, kisses, uh, your kids going to bed on time, your favorite music, laughter, you and your spouse being on the same page, moving in the same direction on one team, uh, your relationship with God that's deep and profound and meaningful. It's all those things. But it includes beauty and relationship and life. And in the scriptures, God is the one who gets to call what is good and what is not good, and God gives good things to mankind. Now, today, we don't live in this peace, this shalom with God, because we're always getting sidetracked by trying to call things that are not good, 
good and running after these things, and they're always letting us down. This is how the pristine shalom and tov and harmony between God and man and man and man and man and creation comes to be what it is today. The harsh and hostile workings of nature that God creates us a certain way, and we run the opposite direction of what he calls us to. Uh, All the way back in the garden, all the way through today, we stop trusting all that God has said to lead us into goodness, and we wanted to find everything for ourselves. We rebel against God and his goodness and his peace. We break relationship with him. We spiral creation into the mess that it is today. What if Solomon says, all these things, it comes back to this idea in Ecclesiastes, of this is what people are running after under the sun. They're running away from God. And what Solomon is trying to show is what happens when we trade God's good gifts for broken things of our own creation, which makes us come back to the question, have we really thought in our lives how much we truly need Jesus? Throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon is showing that God gives life and God gives stuff, and he gives us the ability to enjoy that stuff when we focus on him and not all these other things that God shows him himself to be a father, and he wants to father us in ways that our fathers never could, that God is a God who wants his kids to actually need him. And even today, a lot of dads will say they love it the most when their kids need them. This could be when kids are three years old, they're like, Dad, swing me again. You're like, okay, I got to work out more. And you, and you swing kids, right? It could be me at my age when I call my dad and I go, can you explain to me how to wire three and four-way switches so I don't burn down my house because I'm having a really hard time with it? My dad doesn't go, oh my goodness, you're asking me questions again. No, he finds joy in that, that I actually need him, for, because for a lot of years, I didn't call him or talk to him. Our God loves to be a father. Our God is a giver, not because he has to, but because he wants to. And the point of life is God, and we are to enjoy him and all the things that he brings. I mean, again, think about this. God set up the world in a way that it was meant for us to be able to enjoy it. Let's take something as simple as food. I tell you this a lot. God could have just made food grow on trees like Nutri-Nuggets. Like, I, I feed my dog the same thing every day. I do not know why she doesn't hate me, but I feed her the same thing. But God gives us fruits and chicken and cows and fish and spices and salt and pepper and olive oil and Suzy Q and for the weirdos, vegetables and all these sorts of things to enjoy. On the earth, when God creates man and woman, he said, it's very, very good. They live in this garden. Garden, this is where we get our word paradise from. It was, I've been to an all-inclusive resort in Cancun. It, it cannot measure up to what God did in the garden. In the garden, they get great weather, fresh fruit, no shame. If we get a three-day weekend, we think it's like the most amazing thing in the world. Imagine that every day. A nice garden, fresh fruit, naked spouse, great weather. We'd all be off our meds and therapy. It would simply be amazing. And the truth is that is, since we fell from relationship with God because of our own rebellion, we're always trying to find our way back there again. But we're always trying to do it on our own terms. We're not trusting him for what he has provided to bring us back into relationship again. We always think sin is going to be so great and so wonderful and so much fun and so fulfilling. And for a time, it, it is. But then it gets its hooks in us. And it starts to drag away and rob us our enjoyment of all that life was meant to be. This happens to Adam in the garden, and it happens to us today. And sin can and has been a whole sermon on its own, but suffice to say, when we speak of sin, it's this idea of all the ways that we rebel against God and how he created and set us up in this world to live in his peace and his goodness. And this could be things like, you know, theft and murder and that kind of stuff, but it's also not loving those who God has called us to love. Sometimes people think never sinning means I can just never have any fun in my life, that only the best fun comes from sin. Hebrews 4.15 will tell us that Jesus was tempted like us, but he didn't sin. So did Jesus enjoy his life? I mean, up until the point that we killed him, you know, did, did he enjoy his life? Well, sure. 
Jesus is ridiculed by the religious leaders because he enjoyed life so much. He had more fun than they did. The religious leaders oppose and try and kill him while the sinners like to be in his company. Women who had multiple husbands, extortionists, prostitutes, and the pastors kill him because really Jesus probably had a better sense of humor than they did and they didn't like it. And it's really a great plot twist for our book. Oh wait, we got one. It's called the Bible, right? Jesus' life wasn't easy. He had all these confrontations with people and eventually they killed him. But he finds a way, even in the midst of that, to live in joy. Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He has joy in the midst of that. In verse 3 in the NIV, it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why? We look at what Jesus did so we don't grow weary, so we don't lose heart. In the midst of his crying out and suffering, he found joy in the midst of that. How do we find joy in our lives while not sinning? By trusting Jesus and finding our joy in him. Uh, The Westminster Catechism of Faith, question and answer, number one is, what is the chief end of man? Why are you here? What's the meaning of life? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Number one, enjoy him forever. Have you truly ever thought about how much you need God in your life to truly find satisfaction in life? When Jesus comes, he knows the lot that he chose. Uh, if, if you're a sick or you're a student and hate going to school, or you're single and you don't want to be, you're in a dead-end job, how do you find joy in life? The point is all of us, no matter where we are, must stick close to God, trust him for what he has done, and he enables us to begin to enjoy the life that he has given. Uh, it's like this. Uh, I think I have a great wife. Now, my wife always says, don't say nice things about me at front because people think our relationship is like so much better than theirs and we're just as messed up as everybody else. So that's my preamble. Yes, I think we fought last week. Yes, we fight. Ah, it's not as wonderful as she thinks it is or I think it is, whatever. So there's my preamble. So I think I have a great wife. If I don't enjoy her, the problem is not with her. The problem is with me. The problem is with me looking for something else to bring me satisfaction in life. My job most of the time at Element, most of the time, is, is amazing, but people can be frustrating, right? But I almost daily thank God for the privilege of being able to be part of Element. If I didn't work here, I think I would still attend here because I love this community. I love being part of who we are. We come and we ask God to give us enjoyment exactly where we are so we don't spend all of our time trying to chase what our eyes see and what our hearts wrongly lust after. We should spend our lives chasing, we always spend our lives chasing things that aren't God, hoping they will become God. But they're not God. They're always going to let us down. So Solomon comes back to this refrain a lot. Who can tell us what will happen under the sun after we are gone? It sounds a lot like secular atheists today. They may even agree with that one statement in the Bible. But we have to realize when Solomon says that, he writes before Jesus ever came. And so when Jesus does come, he shows the beauty of what our lives were meant to be, what restoration can look like, that we get to go with our friends and eat and drink and love and laugh and have a full life, and it's all just practice for eternity. That's my intro. So if you haven't turned to Ecclesiastes chapter 6, haven't found it yet, go there now. Uh, th- uh, this week is going to go hand in hand with what happens in two weeks and what happens in, the, in chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. It all, it all goes together. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he starts off talking about worship and redefining what worship is and bringing us back to the understanding. Then he talks about work and money and wealth and all these things. And Solomon shows us that wealth in our lives is not a matter of rich and poor, but righteous and unrighteous. And if making money seems beyond your ability in this life, that's okay. 
Because what is under our ability in this life is loving God because he's first loved us. And when we love him, it makes us able to be happy and holy and righteous, whether we are rich or poor. We all think money is going to make us happy. But money can just bring a whole new set of problems with a whole new set of bills. So Solomon sums up always talked about and redefines for us what it actually means to be wealthy, what it actually means to be generous, and points to finding joy and goodness and peace and restoration and satisfaction in God under the sun. So this is what he said. Uh, I, I think if I ask most people, do you think you're wealthy? Our minds would go to certain questions, right? Our minds would start to ask things like, well, how much money do I make? Or what's my retirement portfolio? Or can I afford those season tickets or that car I want? Or what neighborhood do I live in? Is it up and coming? Or is it like uh, going the other way, like that 500-pound big screen TV you just had to have that you can't see anything unless you sit right in front of it? Right, that thing. Uh, how big is my house? How many people can fit comfortably into it? And look at all the things that I own. Or how not new and nice is my stuff? Can I afford the newest and best things? We typically define wealth by possessions and income and status. We get an amount of money and we like to show it off, though we don't really like to say that, but that's what we're doing. Even those who don't show off stuff, they talk about how much they're saving, how much they don't spend because I'm frugal. Well, you're still showing it off by doing that. Solomon redefines all of this. By saying that wealth has less to do with what you have and more to do with if you can actually enjoy the things God has placed within your hands. So he's going to ask some questions to get us to examine this really closely in our lives. Uh, There's three questions this week, and then the next uh, message we do in this, there'll be three questions that go along with that. We're going to put them in your notes so you can have them. But here are the questions. Question number one is this. Do you enjoy the wealth, that's big or small, the possessions new or old, and the honor that God has already given you? Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 and 2. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, that would be like money, bank account, IRAs, things like that. Possessions, that's like house, car, fridge, couch, stuff. And honor, honor would be people who respect you. Uh, you have friends, employees, volunteer in a ministry, a job, stuff like that. So that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. And this is a grievous evil. Now, when, God, when it says God has not given power to enjoy them, what that means is God doesn't make you enjoy. He doesn't force you to enjoy the good things he has placed in your life. So the question is, do you enjoy the wealth, possessions, and honor that God has given you? Now, I love Solomon's honesty here because he just pointed out how, how our culture today actually lives. Have you ever played the game? Oh, if I just had that. This could be in terms of possessions and things, though we don't like to say it, but it's true. But it could also be in terms of honor and friendships and things like that. This would be like social status, being invited to the thing that you really wanted to be invited to. Do you, do you look for all these things to bring you some honor in your life? You ever wanted something like that and then got something like that and realized it didn't make you happy? Like, I just really want to be friends with that person. Then you realize that when you become friends with that person, you're like, oh my goodness, they're a jerk and a weirdo because we're all jerks and weirdos because that's, that's our lives. What I do is I call this the puppy syndrome because, you know, every little kid wants a puppy. And every little kid makes promises, oh, I'll feed it, I'll walk it, I'll pick up its poop. And every parent knows it's a big fat lie. If you don't know that's a lie and you got a kid, it is a big lie. Kids don't do it. You end up doing it. That's just how it works. Kids assume puppies are going to listen. They're going to go poop in the exact same spot every single time. It's going to be pure bliss. They're going to be buddies for the rest of their life because that's how movies make it look. And it's not like that. i got to tell you, dogs are hard. Animals are hard. There's a hierarchy that animals actually need. You ever meet someone who has a dog that runs all over the furniture and jumps all over you and listens to no one? I know I'm hitting really close to home for some of you. You're like, talk about my sins, not about my dog. I got it, right? 
I'm going to back off the ledge. But suffice to say, dogs are hard when you raise them right, and they're hard on everybody else when you don't. Someone once commented to me that they wanted a dog like mine, that, that fetches, that rides in the car well, that seems to listen. She does not listen that well, okay? Especially with the cats around, like, stop trying to eat the cat. You know, it's... Last two weeks have been a little hard. But, but in this, my dog really does what she does because I spend time with her. I will pay, play fetch with her. I will tell her no, and I will discipline her when she misbehaves. I don't just yell at her. I actually go in and I discipline her. She will not jump up on you because she knows she's not supposed to. Uh, my niece sometimes house sits for us, and she's like, I try and get your dog to sit with me on the couch. She won't get on the couch, and I go, you're right she won't get on the couch because she's not supposed to. Right? It's, it's all that. Something as simple as a dog is hard. Now extrapolate that out to people and the rest of your life because people are stubborn and people are hard and people have opinions and they're usually not the same opinions as you so things get hard. And in relationships, sometimes things become a little disappointing. Everything is a little disappointing. Nothing is as great as the expectation. This could be movies or houses or cars or friendships or pets or jobs. And Solomon says when we find that we're never satisfied and we can't hang out and just kind of have a relationship with people, it's the idea that it has more to do with our hearts than really anything else. It has more to do with our own relationship with God than anything else. And he says if you're not walking rightly with God, we're a people who are never going to be happy. But when we do walk with him and trust him, the joy in these things come because we're not trying to find our satisfaction in these things. And, and it doesn't become, oh, if I could just trade in my, my house or my, my car or my wife or my midget demons or my pets for obedient ones, if I could just upgrade, that would be the answer, no. Because what Solomon is trying to say, that your stuff and your enjoyment of your stuff becomes two separate things. And God can enable us to enjoy them, but it's because we're finding ourselves in who he is first. And if we can't enjoy the stuff we have now, new stuff is not going to help. Whether they're always going to get dissatisfied in it. So in truth, to be wealthy doesn't have squat to do with money. Wealthy people are those who enjoy what they have and become generous with what they have. Question number two. When you do get money, honor, and things, do you share them? Uh, Chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years. Now, long life and lots of children was seen as a great blessing in this culture, like blessed man, tired wife. um, So that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied, because that's where he's going, with life's good things. And he also has no burial. I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity, that's the word for vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, that's two thousand years, yet enjoy no good, and that's what he's going after, do not all go to one place. Now we're going to deal with death in another Ecclesiastes message, but what Solomon talks about here and where he's aiming at is this. Do you share your life with others in such a way that your funeral or after you die, your funeral is going to be deep and meaningful, possibly even sad for a multitude of people. Any morbid people ever think about the day of your death? Seriously. First service has a lot of older people in it, and only like two people raised their hand. And I'm like, that's weird. And seriously, you guys are younger, and it's like, yeah, I think about it all the time. You should see how I drive. Yeah. I got... Now, my wife hates it when I talk about stuff like this, but a couple of weeks we were talking, and I, and I think I got her to agree that, that if we you know, both die at the same time, again, probably because I was driving, um, we, we could be cremated together. And I'm like, she can never get away from me. Just burn us together. Yeah. It'll be awesome, right? But do you ever wonder what people will say? Like, what's going to be your legacy in life? Solomon says, if you live 2,000 years, and you had tons of kids, but no one came to your funeral because no one cared or worse, people were glad you were gone. It's a sad 
thing. He says, a stillborn child who was loved is better off than you. He's, this is a way to reset our minds and what we're looking at. I've done a good amount of funerals at this point in my life, and I can tell you that those that are done for people who are loved are completely different than funerals you do for people who just think, oh, we just have to do one. Because when we talk about looking about the day of our death, it's not about this idea of impressing people. It's about the question, do we really understand how much we need Jesus, not just for death, but in life? Wealth includes more than money. It includes people to enjoy the things we have with. After my dog comment, I probably have less friends than I have before, whatever. But, but Solomon says there's nothing worse than to have money and wealth and no one to share it with. This is like a Christmas carol and Ebenezer Scrooge. What's the whole point of Scrooge? The point is it's good to be gracious. That's the end of the whole story in that. Many, many times people who suffer from loneliness, I don't think they suffer just because they don't know how to get along. I think they suffer many times from selfishness because they're refusing to give themselves to other people. They're refusing to give their lives and share themselves with others. Generous people are typically not lonely. And again, I'm not talking about money, but it can include that. Ecclesiastes says, our funeral, the day of our death, is the place where our wealth will be measured. Kind of makes me wonder what you would say at my funeral. Some of you should say nothing, like, oh, we talked about my dog. I can't believe that guy. So, yeah, there's that. Uh, Question number three. Are you satisfied and content with what God has given you in life? Are you satisfied and content with what God has given you in life? Because that's you 6, 7 through 9. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the king? Better is the sight of the eyes and the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. So this is the idea that are you satisfied with the lot in life that God has given you? I'm not saying we shouldn't seek or, or want to make something better, but are you, me, we, naturally content? And again, I ask that because American culture is built on coveting what other people have, not being content, always needing more. So Solomon says practically this works out and and consists in two main things. First off, what we have in our hands, and then what we see with our eyes. If we are always consumed with what our eyes see, we will neglect what God has already placed into our hands. Ecclesiastes reminds us that some of our hands are already full with so many blessings, but we do not see those blessings because our eyes are always looking around at what everybody else has. So many people already have wealth and honor and possessions, but fail to see it. Other people wish their lives were simplified because they have too much on their shoulders already. And so what he says is, don't worry so much about what other people think. I mean, not, not in terms of, like, respect and honor, you know, but, but don't worry about what they think about you. Love and be generous and, and see the stuff that God has placed in your hands, not in a myopic way, but in a thankful way that turns us all to be generous people. I think we all have things in our minds that take up way too much headspace, right? I mean, right now my wife and I are redoing our laundry room, and we're going to bed last night. She's all, I'm having a hard time sleeping because I'm thinking about where we're going to put the wash and dryer, where we're going to put this, and da da da. And I'm like, then it makes me start thinking about it. Oh, all the work I got to do, I got to tear out the drywall, and we put out the drywall. And we just get obsessed with all of these things. We look around typically, and we will say, you know, I have a house but I want a different house, or I have a car, I want a different car, or I have uh, a job, I want a different job. Not that you can't get a different house or a different car or a different job, but it takes up all of our headspace. True wealth is, in the end, how much we enjoy what we actually have. Think about this. How about just your own physical appearance, right? Almost nobody is satisfied with their own physical you know, appearance, and we have lack of contentedness in that. And, and sometimes it's a good thing to drive us you know, to be more healthy and stuff like that, but some people are like, well, have you seen my nose? Okay, yeah, uh, are you happy you have a nose? Compared to not having one, it's, it's, it's a great thing. Oh, my hair's not growing out my head anymore. It's growing out my ears. Well, are you thankful you have a head and ears? Because 
to not having one, it's, it's a really good thing. Are, are you thankful for what you have? I think if we took a step back and asked how many, how many people wish that they could have just what you have in your life, I think we could start to be a little more thankful for things that we have. Like, how many people would want your house or your car or your spouse? We need to learn to be content and satisfied with what God has already provided. If you are married, do you thank God daily for your spouse? There are some people who aren't married, and they wish they could be. They just want to be. And you have this great gift. Do you love them and pray for them? Do you, do you overlook some slights and hurts because you want to love them more than hurt them back? Is, I, seriously, are you thankful for what God has placed into your hands? And if you're not and you're married, look around sometimes. See what other people got stuck with. <laughs> My wife got me. Can you imagine being married to me? If I was married to me, I would have to kill me. I, I couldn't handle it. Go back to where we started. Have you ever truly thought about how much you need God? Have we really thought about that? Because in the end, where Solomon is going is the only way contentment comes, is understanding how Jesus loved us by restoring us to relationship with himself. As a result, we get peace with God again. And peace with God brings contentment and grace. It is all grace. We are a people who have been given wealth beyond measure as a gift, no matter what our circumstances are. Again, wealth is how much we enjoy what we have, who we are able to enjoy it with, being content with what is in our hands. Now, God can bring a different house or car or job or all those things, but I always ask, you know, why? Why should God bring me these things in my life if I'm not currently grateful for what I have? for what he's already given me. 1 Timothy 6, 6 6-8. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Just food and clothing? What? Right? It's a whole different perspective. In the end, the point of life is to glorify God, love Him, and enjoy Him forever. Even in the point of death, this stretches into it. The point of that is to glorify God, love Him, and enjoy Him forever. And out of that comes worship and adoration for our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how the gospel reorients us, how the gospel resets us, to find true satisfaction in who Jesus is and what He has done for us. Many times, what sin does is it's it's like this poison, that gets so deep down into the roots of who we are that it makes us never satisfied with the stuff that God has given. Many times we don't even notice what God has given because we're always looking out to find something else. And what Christ does in his rescue of us is moves us to a place where he digs up those roots to help us to begin to see who he is calling us to be the restoration of life and relationships so we can see the things that he has placed in our hands to be thankful for what we have not that he can't bring something different or more but we're thankful for what we have already been given this is one of the reasons we talk about communion every week where we come to this place and we break the cracker like christ's body that was broken for us we dip in the wine into the grape juice reminds us of blood that was shed for you and me we do not pass communion throughout the room it's a response when god has done something in your heart and you want to come and take communion you you do that as a response to what he is doing because we realize that and what we needed most is the relationship with god himself and God has provided the way for us to have all of our sins removed so we can come back into relationship with him again. The band's going to come up. As they do, I'm going to invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons in the back. If you need prayer, maybe you're in a place in your life right now where you are always unsatisfied. You're always looking for something else. You never just kind of settle into the good gifts that God has given you, and you're always trying to, to find something else. And you want someone to pray with you about that. They would love to pray with you about that. 
be able to, to talk through some of these things of what God is doing and how God longs to restore us. I think that we as a people, when we begin to understand, thanks, Jason. <laughs> Last service, he forgot I had to carry it myself, and I was like, I am dissatisfied. <laughs> but God reset my focus, so I was thankful just to have a podium. That was it. Guys, I think when we understand the graciousness of God and the things he's already placed in our hands, it will change us. But it must start with an understanding of how much we truly need Jesus in our life. Because without him, we're always looking for something different. We're never going to be settled. And so God comes and rescues us and restores us to who he is. The beauty of the gospel is that God does this himself with the death and the resurrection of Jesus to bring us back in. And as the result of that, we now get to live these great lives who honor and love him. As a result, we get to find satisfaction in all the things that he has given. And so maybe today, if you find yourself in a place where you are dissatisfied, pray with somebody else or begin to think through these things and look at what God has already placed into your hands. Uh, There's offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We do not pass the plates in response to what he's done. And there is some snacks outside. You can grab something to eat, take some sermon notes, maybe meet some people uh, either today or this week and talk through some of those things. You know, maybe the things that you are constantly seeking and striving after to bring you satisfaction in your life, but maybe they never fulfill and you just keep going deeper into that hole thinking if you just go farther, well, then, then it will happen. And it won't. Because true satisfaction in life only comes when our lives are bowed at the foot of the cross, trusting Jesus for his salvation of who we are. So let's be a people who begin to live out the joy in our life because we can enjoy it because God has first restored and rescued us to relationship with him. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would constantly remind us of your grace and your hope that has been given to us, that even when we understand that we're called to be a loving people, we'd understand that that's a response to your love, which has first been given to us. And that we would come to this place where we would see you as you are, and we would understand how much we really need you. Yes, for salvation and new life again but also how we need you to live out in this world in a way that sees the world as you do. That we would trust you to root the the poison of sin out from our lives so that we would stop looking at it and start to look and trust you. That we would live in the great restoration of who you are, what you have done, And how you draw us to yourself to understand all that we have truly been given. Riches and hope and life beyond measure. Have us be able to look at that and see it. Not in a myopic way where we focus on that. But in a way that restores us to gratitude and joy. So we would live out this life no matter what comes our way. In hardships and sorrows and joy and laughter. We'd be in a place where we understand that we can walk through all things because you have rescued us and that we begin to live in great hope and joy because you have restored it to us. And we ask this in your son's good name. Amen.